I just push the red one when it's time. Are you gonna? I've already done it. It's recording. Oh, okay. Rain of life. What's that, Frank? Has it been there since the beginning? No. Join with video. Let's see. Join with audio. Good morning, beloved. Hi, Kayleen. Hi, hi. How are you? Fine, thank you. Glad to hear it. Good. Dory's in a separate room. <laughs> I take notes on my computer, so that's... Okay. Good stuff. Was the handout accessible to y'all this morning? Um, yeah, I have it in another window. I have to get it. Oh, good. It's still called Inheritance and Suffering, but when you open it up, it's uh, yeah. your, your pastor. Yeah. I noticed that this morning. Hey, Melanie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Ready for a cold afternoon? I guess I'm going to put my long underwear on, that's for sure. But here's the question. I, I don't want to wear a beanie. I'll look stupid. You know, like one of those caps that covers your head to keep you warm. Won't it look goofy? Who cares what you look like, Mike? It's more important to stay healthy. Oops, apparently I do. <laughs> Just take it out there with you, and if you really need yeah. it, put one. Yeah, good. All right. Good morning. Hi, Lisa. Good morning. Let me show you something that's sitting here, Lisa. Something that's sitting here. What's that? Am I, did I? There he is. How fun! All right. Well, we're in the we're in the home stretch, beloved. I hope you know how much we love you, and how grateful we are for three years with you. It seems to have quick three years. It's flown by, hasn't it, Lisa? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for your prayers and love and support and encouragement and being faithful saints. Yay. Hey, Andy and Patty. Hi. Hey, Dorian. The other beard. <laughs> Andy, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you there, brother? Did you grow something? Is that a beard? Oh, my goodness. It's just, it's just in the front. Wow. You look, you look like an actor. <laughs> Hi, Caitlin. Good morning, Caitlin. Morning. There's Chris. Okay, well, I do, I do know that uh, 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 Frank pushed record, so we are recording, and it's 9.15, and therefore time to start, and it is uh, February 21st, uh, 2021, and I'm the interim pastor here, Mike Sherrod, and I've chosen to use my last two Sunday school times with you to go over this handout that I hope you can access. I'll also do a screen share here in a second called How to Care for Your Next Senior Pastor. Let me just explain, I, I think I said this last week, but some of you may not have been a part of the class last week. Let me explain why I'm doing this. At our last uh, stated meeting, our last session meeting, I was privileged to share a little handout with your elders called How to Care for Your Next Senior Pastor. Just some things I've thought about and learned over the years. And I shared that with your elders because my heart is that they would care well for your next pastor. And subsequent to that, Dory and I were interchanging together about how uh, we might use these last two weeks. And he said, why don't you consider doing a similar presentation for the church, for my Sunday school class? I thought that was a marvelous idea and went to work immediately on it. And voila, there's a 20-point handout for you now. I know you're not shocked. But uh, so I thought that was a great idea. So thank you, Dory, for being such a thoughtful shepherd over the Lord's people. And we'll trust that this is, in fact, um, how the Lord wants us to use this time. So let me go ahead and pray for us. And then I'll call up the handout and we'll begin working through it and take two weeks to work through our handout together. I think what I'm going to try to do is um, maybe 15, 20 minutes in, push pause and see if you have any questions 
or comments you'd like to make. And um, we'll probably come back to the, get off the screen share and, and then uh, allow you to do that because you may, there may be some things you want to ask or say. So let's pray for this time and then we'll go to the handout. Lord, thank you so much for a new day and the assurance that your mercies are new and your love never ceases. And this is because of uh, you, Lord Jesus, your death for us, your resurrection, and now reigning on high for your glory and the good of your people. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, how precious they are to you and to Janice and me. And we're so grateful to have this time to look at uh, how they might be intentional about caring for their next pastor. So use this for their good, for their edification, for their encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go to screen share. And, um, oh no, hold on. No, that's not it. I thought I had it up here. I did. Uh, Dory, can you give me any help here? What do I do? Uh, I can call, I can call it up from. I'm sorry. I, I had it. Okay. Did you press the screen share? I did. Yeah. Or so you should have a couple of choices of different screens you can share. There's a green highlight around the different ones. Okay. Um, Where do you have it saved? It's saved in my just my Word documents. Sorry, class. Is it, is it up on your screen? Well, it, it yes, I pulled it up this morning, and uh, it, well, it disappeared. All right, so give do me. You, do, do you want me to share and then uh, you talk? No, I've got it here. Thank you. I've just, I, let me see if I can pull it up. I, if I'm unsuccessful, I'll have you do that. Yeah. All right. I pulled that up. Now, should I go back? Double click on this. See the little. Yeah, go. Yeah. All right. I think I'm almost there, guys. I. How come it's. Basic. Basic? Okay. There, there it is. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Dory. Does that look like it, guys? Yeah, that's it. Okay, good. So, why do I title this, How to Care for Your New Senior Pastor, Being a Partner in His Flourishing by Blessing, Edifying, and Encouraging? Because you're not a passive participant. You're not a passive observer in his ministry. You're an active participant. When your pastor flourishes, everyone flourishes. When you flourish spiritually, he should flourish spiritually. So, um, so he has a new job, right? And you have a new job. Being intentional about being the body of Christ to one another and towards him. And don't forget that the session, the search committee will ultimately call a man who is deeply flawed and profoundly in need of the same grace and mercy of the gospel that you do. At least that's the way I see myself. Deeply flawed, profoundly in need of daily filling of the Spirit and God's grace. So here's point number one of the 20. This may seem a little pedantic, but I think it's important. Introduce yourself to him. Something like this, hi pastor, so-and-so. Uh, we are Mike and Janice Share, assuming you're standing with your spouse. And we've been at Wallace for about three years. That gives a teeny bit of context. We look forward to getting to know you better in the months to come. Translate it. In this little interaction, we're not gonna give you our life story. This isn't the place to do that. <laughs> uh, we, we look forward to getting to know you. And oh, by the way, we noticed you spent time in Atlanta. That's a hypothetical. That's what that is, is just saying, hey, you've read a little bit of his bio, and you've just made a connection. You've just given a hook that you have something in common. Our daughter lives there. So that's actually one way that uh, we have special affection for Greg and Dee Griffiths. It turns out that their son goes to my daughter, Laura's church in Atlanta. My daughter knows Dee and Greg's kids and grandkids, 
And uh, so there's a little connection there, a little hook. Um, when you're talking, when you're introducing yourself to the pastor, use your spouse's name in that conversation so he hears it again. So suppose I'm the one doing the talking, I'm talking to Pastor Frank. I said, and, and Janice, why don't you tell Frank about? Again, keep it short, but that, that, that allows him to hear her name, and again, you hear, uh, he hears your name. So the idea is he's hearing your name in this interaction. And then over the weeks and months to come, as you continue to interact with him and his wife, with he and his wife, use your name, uh, assuming he hasn't learned it yet. Now, if he uses it on a regular basis, then it feels a little funny for you to keep saying, I'm Mike, and he's like, I know that because I'm using your name. And incidentally, maybe I'm just, this is just something particular to me, but if I do make it a point to learn the names of the people in the flocks that I pastor, and if I know them, I will use them. So if I ever see you and I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. I have forgotten your name because I will use your name if I know it. Okay, so use your name, assuming he hasn't learned it. And if you send him a text, don't assume that he knows your phone number. Say, hi, this is Mike. I'm texting you, etc. If you email him and your email doesn't identify you, you need to identify yourself. Just some of these little tidbits. As you interact with him, use his name. So most of the people I interact with with Wallace use my name. Some, of, some people haven't used it, and maybe that's because they're not sure what to call me. So if you're not sure what to call him, do you want to be called Dr. Sherrod? Do you want to be called Pastor Sherrod? Do you want to be called Mike? You could just ask him, what do you prefer to be called? The reason names are important is because it's, it's because when we use each other's names, we're ultimately reflecting the love of God for us. In his love, God calls us by name. He identifies us. We are particular people. We're promised in Revelation that we'll get a new name, right? So, um, so that's why this is important. We need to use one another's names. If you look at Romans 16, Paul names, as he closes his epistle, 27 different individuals. He could have said, give my regards to the church in Rome and everybody there. He didn't. He names them individually 27 times. So this is one pastor's plea to use his name when you interact with him and uh, do your best to use your name so that he gets to know you if he chooses to use your name. Also, this is speaking on my wife's behalf. You may need to go out of your way to introduce yourself to his wife. Now, my wife is one of those people who's very comfortable going up and introducing herself to somebody. Hi, I'm Janice. I'm the pastor's wife. Who are you? She may or may not feel that way. So feel free to go up and, and go out of your way to introduce yourself to the new pastor's wife and give her a chance to settle in and choose where she wants to engage in church's ministries. Don't assume she's going to serve in the nursery. Don't assume she's going to teach Sunday school. Don't assume she's going to lead the women's Bible study. Really don't assume much of her at all. Tim, Tim Keller used to tell us in seminary, always show up at a new church with your wife pregnant, and therefore there's no expectation of what she's going to do. Okay, so we do need to mute everybody out there. I think we've got a couple maybe who aren't muted. Second tidbit for you, respect uh, constraints of circumstances. What do I mean? After a corporate gathering, and you want to greet the pastor, be sensitive to others' desire to greet him. Right? There may be a line of people who want to say hi. So resist engaging in long conversations. Keep it brief. As a pastor, I think most pastors are this way. On Sunday morning, we sort of have this goal, I'd like to greet as many people as possible. Just touch base with as many people as possible. Just acknowledge that they're there, they're important, I'm grateful to see them. Well, if, if, if your new pastor is like that and you begin to engage him at significant length after the service, you're cutting off other people's opportunity to see him and you're cutting off his opportunity to greet as many people as possible. So if you need a lengthier interaction, uh, just say, hey, I'd like to speak with you about something. Can I make an appointment? I'm sure he'll say yes. Then you carry the ball on that and say, I will email you to set that up. Don't ask him to email you. You own the responsibility to do that. If you give them a book, a lot of people read things or they hear a song or they read something on the, on the internet that they want their pastor 
to be aware of. That's a very wonderful thing. If you give him a book, put your name on it, and then have reasonable expectations about him reading it, meaning you may, he may never, ever get to it because there's always lots of things to do. But just be reasonable in your expectations. It's fine if you want to do that. Okay? So respect constraints of circumstances. Don't dominate his time if you're greeting him after a worship service. Number three, pray for him, his wife, his children. Pray for his spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, financial, familial, and mental well-being. Pray specifically. You can ask him, how can we pray specifically for you? Many of you have done that for Janice and me. You ask specifically how you can pray. One, one of the reasons we do that is then we know specifically how and when God answers prayer. It's a wonderful thing. I can tell you there are many times on a Sunday morning I feel prayed for. My spirit buoys up. Um, I get clarity of mind. Sometimes uh, I can wake up in a fog or be discouraged or not even have clarity for what I'm going to be doing later in the day. And, and that fog... Vi- well, almost always lifts. And I count that up to the prayers of my wife, my loved ones, and, and the people in the church. So thank you for your prayers. They are felt. They make a difference. Uh, I couldn't be sustained without them. So here's three examples. Again, somebody out there needs to mute. Thank you. Here are three examples where Paul asked for prayer, and it's pretty instructive to see exactly what he asked for prayer for. Colossians 4 Continue steadfastly in prayer, that's all of us, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison. So Paul's asking for specific opportunities to share the gospel. That's a good thing to pray for yourself and for your pastor. I think your pastors want to be uh, pace setters in personal evangelism. Okay, somebody needs to mute. Thank you. And he says that I may make it clear in how I ought to speak. Interesting that someone as learned and experienced as Paul is asking for clarity in how to speak. So don't assume your pastor always knows exactly how to do that. What a great prayer. Then 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us. There it is. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. So he's got his focus on the effectiveness, the ministry of the word of the Lord as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. There's prayer for his safety. Um, And then, I love this one in Romans 15, 30. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He's asking for prayer. Why? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Prayer for safety, deliverance. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that he has favored with those for whom he ministers. And that means he's ministering in a fruitful, effective, winsome way, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed. This is one of five times in the New Testament that Paul uses this verb, adjective, refreshed that we may be refreshed in your company. What does Paul desire as he thinks about the churches to whom he writes? That if he were with them in person, they would be refreshed together. So that means that you're praying at least this much. You can see it there in parentheses. Lord, let me be a source of refreshment to the pastor and his family. And that may require you thinking intentionally, what would that look like? I love that proverb that says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. So let my words bring life. Let my words bring edification. Let my words bring refreshing, not only to my fellow uh, church members, my family members, but also to the pastor and, uh, and his family. Be a source of refreshing. Next one, share. And this is based on Galatians 6.6. Paul writes, let the one who is taught, that would be your pastors, teaching elders, others, uh, taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. So what does Paul have in mind here? Probably material blessings, but that would also include sharing a note of encouragement. Many of you have done that. You've sent little emails. You've written notes just out of the blue. I want to encourage you. I want to tell you I'm praying for you. I want to thank you for this. 
pastors do appreciate uh, saying specifically what is helpful in their teaching because that creates a feedback loop where you know, okay, if that was specifically helpful, that's the kind of thing I want to continue speaking about or addressing in my teaching or preaching. And uh, this all good things includes also not only material gifts, that's appropriate if you're able, but that all good things, I know as a pastor, I'm interested in what you're learning in your personal reading of God's word. So I'm studying the word of God. I'm reading the word of God personally. I hope and trust that you are. And so I'm blessed as your pastor hearing how God is blessing you and your personal study of the word of God. Because pastors do not want to be your sole source, the sole source of your spiritual enrichment. We don't want you utterly depending on us for spiritual enrichment. We just want to be one little meal along the way, trusting that you are nourishing yourself day in and day out. And we have the role of adding to that, encouraging you in that, shedding light on that, bringing you some some goodies along the way. But we want you to be nourishing yourself, and we love to hear about how God is doing that. So that's one thing that you can share. And, And on this note, Also, when we're meeting together in person for worship again, come to worship really prepared for worship. Worship is a very special thing in God's economy. Um, It's a unique time in which Jesus is present with his people. He's speaking to his people. And uh, I can tell you this, when I lead worship and I get to stand in front of God's people and watch them worship, I have the best seat in the house. I've often told my congregations in the past, if you're discouraged and you want to be encouraged, come up front and stand and look at God's people as they worship. Look at their faces. Watch them sing. Watch them engage with the Lord. There's something deeply, supernaturally encouraging about watching the people of God worship. Okay, so that's the point. Pastors don't want to be your sole sources of spiritual nourishment. We want you to be those who know how to nourish yourselves. We want to play a role in that. We want you to be worshiping day in and day out in your private times so that when we gather Sunday morning, what happens is all 200 of us bring our worship collateral that we built up through the week. We come into corporate worship And we express it. We dump it. And every pastor longs to see a vital surface where you can just tell, oh, these people came ready to worship. These people have been worshiping. They don't need the the pump to be primed significantly because they've come ready to contribute with all the worship that they've been uh, expressing to the Lord throughout the week. I hope, hope that makes sense to you. Okay, so let's do this. Let's push pause there. I'm afraid to leave the handout, so I'm not going to do that. Let's, oh wait, I can stop screen share. There we go. Do you have any thoughts or questions, comments you'd like to make at this point on what I've said? And just unmute yourself and speak up because I, I don't have the ability to call on folks. If there's none, we can continue on. I see James and Daniela Wilson's picture. Hello, beloved. How's Gettysburg? It's cold. <laughs> it is good to see you guys. We miss you and love you. Yes, yeah, same here. Okay. All right, I'll go back to screen share unless anybody wants to say something. Great. All right. All right, let's move down to the next one. Submit. This comes straight out of Scripture. We've been looking at 1 Peter for over a year. 1 Peter 5.5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then Hebrews 13.17, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that sort of requires a little bit of self-assessment. Hey, in what way might I be a source of groaning to my leaders? How could I be a source of joy? Is there any sense, any place where I might be resisting their oversight? And obviously, what you are to submit to is that as your leaders counsel and teach you the word of God. 
their leadership is to conform to Scripture. You're not called to submit to anything else beyond Scripture. Thankfully, we are a denomination and a church that believes that, uh, that your conscience can only be bound by Scripture. There are abuses of this in certain churches where leaders take this uh, type of verse and they extend it beyond, I believe, what God means, and they put burdens on people. They demand things of people that Scripture does not. I don't suspect that will ever happen at Wallace because of our tradition here, because of the PCA, because of our understanding of the nature of church leadership, that it's derivative, it's derivative of the Lord Jesus' leadership and the principal way he exercises his lordship over his people is through the inerrant and infallible word of God. It is a, a, the, to the word of God alone that your conscience is to be held captive. So you're praying that your leaders themselves are submitted to that word and then that is the word over which they want you to be submissive and obedient to the scriptures. So let's suppose you come to a situation where you find yourself at crosshairs with the leadership, something that they've said, uh, something that they've done. What, what should you do about that? Don't let that sit. You, you should do something about that. Um, engage them with humility. That's the bit in this context here in 1 Peter. It's all about humility. Engage your leader with whom you might have a disagreement or a problem or you've seen something that isn't sitting well with you. You should do something about that. Engage them with humility and self-scrutiny. As Jesus said in uh, Matthew 7, start by looking at your own logs. Then you'll see clearly to see their specs. If you find yourself critical of their oversight, it's very helpful to distinguish uh, uh, between um, issues or clarifications or questions that you'd have specifically for the pastor, let's say something he taught or spoke or did himself, versus those things better directed to the session or deacons. So if you have an issue with the session, go to your oversight elder as a starting point. If you have an issue, let's say Sunday morning, there's uh, no paper towels in the men's room, the ladies' room. Don't go to the pastor with that. Go to the deacons. Because if you came to me with an issue about paper towels in the bathroom, I'd say, find a deacon. The deacons are responsible for what happens with the building. So if you have an issue generally with the session, start with your oversight oversight elder, express your concerns, and never assume that just the way you figured out the problem is the only way to view it. It's really best to assume with a certain amount of agnosticism. So check your perceptions. You could start something like this. Hey, Elder Frank, I think I'm seeing this. Am I accurate? And then if once you, once you discern what you, you both agreed what you think is going on, and then say, well, help me understand then this. Or I might be wrong, but does that imply this? Or, or should, am I supposed to, uh, to uh, assume this? So anyway, uh, enter these kinds of discussions. They're critical to have, but enter them with, uh, with, a, with a learning heart. Don't start with accusations. Enter in as an as a information-gathering person and then work towards resolution, work towards getting as much information as you can so you can draw conclusions that are based on, uh, on all of the facts. And do so, of course, with humility. Okay? Number six, respect and esteem. This is based on Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. He writes in verse 12, We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So we have two key words here, respect and esteem. I see respect as grounded in the office. We believe that God is the one who puts officers in their office. They are ultimately there by the sovereignty of God and by God's choice as recognized by the congregation. Uh, God uses the congregation's recognitions of the office of elder and deacon and those gifts. And so it is through your recognition of those offices under God's economy that God brings them into office. They're there ultimately uh, to serve God and to serve his people and will answer to God for it. So respect is grounded in the office. We all have a uh, uh, responsibility to respect that office as an office God has ordained for our good. That Jesus exercises his lordship over his people not least through your 
private prayer, your private worship, your reading of the word, but also he exercises his lordship over you through the shepherding ministry of the officers of the church. So you want to respect that person because of the office. Don't revere them. Don't put them on a pedestal. I don't know any pastor who wants to be revered to put on a pedestal. Uh, we know ourselves to be profoundly frail, profoundly needing of grace, probably bigger sinners than the rest of you. They are your servant, not your superior. If Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, how much more the elders and deacons of the church? They are your servants. I trust that your new pastor will view him that way. And then Paul says, so he says, respect them for their office. Then he says, esteem them for their work. Oftentimes, the, the, the most visible view you have of the work of your pastors is what's done publicly. Their preaching, te- teaching ministry, their preaching ministry, their, um, you know, when they do public events and worship leading. So that's kind of all that you see. And you know, there's that long-standing joke that the, uh, the only uh, day of the week a pastor works is Sunday, even at that, at two, two hours a day. Of course, that's crazy, right? So there's a lot of their work that happens behind the scenes, and one of the things I've encouraged your elders to do is ask your new pastor for a regular accounting of his work. I've, since I've gotten here, I've given uh, your elders what's called a, a monthly activities report. I list the meetings and the activities that have been done so that there's a sense of accountability that your elders know the way their pastor is using their time. And even though we've been in COVID and we haven't met in person, I used to hand these out in person, I've still kept up to date with them those through the last year. So that if any time an elder wanted to say, how are you using your time? There's a record of it. The point is there's some measure of accountability there. I think you, you want your elders to, and your, your next pastor to have that sort of relationship together. I've also encouraged your elders to conduct an annual review for the pastor so that you're, you're looking at uh, his work, his body of work, his sense of calling, his sense of commitment to the mission of the church. How is he doing? You want to you be on top of all of these things so that you maintain wonderful relationships between the pastor and the elders because often, happen what hap- often happens what happens in churches is if a pastor decides to leave uh, and he hasn't had a good relationship with the elders, the elders are like, hey, how come you didn't tell us you weren't happy? Or if the elders got to a point where they need to ask the guy to leave, the pastor says, hey, how come you didn't tell me how could I improve my job performance? Those are the kinds of catastrophes you want to avoid. There are tangible and concrete ways of doing that, and that is that the elders and the pastor have regular uh, conversations about his work and annual reviews of his work. But for your part, you're called then to esteem them for their work, and their work should be evident, though not all of it's evident. Know that they're a fellow, a fellow, fellow strugglers with you against indwelling sin. I love this verse in Hebrews 5, speaking of the priest. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. That, of course, that's none of you, but that's in other congregations. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That's right. I think you know that about your interim pastor by now. He himself is beset with weakness. If you think otherwise, we need to have one last coffee and I'll set the record straight. Okay, so let's push pause there. Let me stop screen share and see if you have any questions or comments up to this point. Just ju- hey, Jim. I was wondering if at some point you at the end of this or at the next week, you might reflect on where Wallace might be particularly weak relative to these list of things, you know, given your experience with other churches. Jim, I think that's a, that's a wonderful question. So let's, let's answer that question now with what we've seen thus far. And if, if I don't address it by the time we end next week, feel free to raise it again. Okay. Let me start by saying this. After I'd been here about six months, one of you, who happens to be a person who's been very encouraging all along, uh, this person would ask me, how are you? And I knew that person really meant it from their heart, and I knew that person was praying for me. Um, This person asked me, so so tell me, Mike, what is Wallace like as a congregation? How, How are we different than other congregations you've served? 
Here's what I said. I said, where Janice and I have served God's people, we have found all the congregations to be virtually the same. They're dear Christian people who love Jesus, who love his word, and who love each other. So, so you're like my congregation in Charlottesville, in Fort Worth, in Lynchburg, and Calvary and Willow Grove, where I'm going back. We have just found you to be just like all the others, a dear body of believers who are easy to love and who will be sorely missed. So I'll just start there. That's sort of a general answer. Um, specifically, I would say in terms of introducing yourselves, some of you could do a better job calling me by name. I think some of you have not used my name in the three years I've been here. So I'd encourage you, if that's you, maybe do a little differently with, uh, with the next pastor. Um, most of you are great about restricting time, kind, time constraints. I have this in here um, because generally as a pastor, wherever you go, there are people that, that, that grab you after the service and because they're enthusiastic, they're interested, or they're latched onto a subject that they know you're interested in, they tend to go on a little too long. Some of you do that. I'm not going to name names. Not most of you. Um, I believe you are praying people, and Janice and I would say we've been profoundly sustained by your prayers. So kudos to Wallace for that. Um, many of you have been very encouraging to us, sharing notes of encouragement and words of encouragement. So I think you're a, a good congregation about sharing. Um, Submit. I think overall, this is a congregation that values the office of ruling elder. Um, we've, had some, we've had some conflict over the last few years. Everybody knows that. There's been some, um, I would say, I would say a, a small number could grow in the grace of how they approach their differences with the elders and do what I'm saying. Don't start, don't lead with accusations. Just lead with questions if you have an issue get with that person, try to work it out with that individual elder. So I think a small handful have struggled to do that well, if I was honest. Certainly not all of you as a majority. And um, in terms of respecting and esteem, I sense that very much at Wallace, that there is high regard for the office of elder, for the office of pastor, very, very high regard for it. So as a, as a church, you've done that. Uh, I think you're very healthy in that respect. So Jim, that would be my assessment of... Um, it's a great question. This is a dear family of God's people. Um, whoever comes here next is, is getting a jewel. It's a precious family of God's people. Hey, Mike, this is Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Uh, oh, well, I have a question. When you mentioned about um, the session doing an annual evaluation for the senior pastor, um, I wonder if this is a very common practice among PCA, or maybe it's just your personal recommendation by working here for three years, or can you give them? Yes, great question, Michelle. I don't know the numbers, but based on my experience, I would say it does not happen often enough. Um, yeah, because I've been around the block a few times, and I know some of the younger guys that I've mentored in the past, I get phone calls from them, and their tenure at churches are ending terribly. And invariably, when there's a very uh, poor parting of the ways, I ask, have you had any reviews? And they'll say, no, I haven't. And I encourage these guys, insist on them, get them. You need the feedback. You need to know how you're doing. So I, I would say it's not a common practice, Michelle. Uh, um, and I, I can't put numbers on it. I guess maybe a third of the guys do this, but I, I couldn't tell you for sure. It's a good question. But, but so now public service has been, has been, public notice has been served. Make sure your elders are doing this for your next guy, because I've encouraged them to do it. And I think they want to do that. Mike, should you also mention at this time that your recommendation for pastors to gather a few people to give them feedback with their preaching, is that where this might tuck in to this conversation or not? I think so. I'm not going to come back to it. So what Janice is referring to, I also encourage your elders, at least for the initial season of the pastor's tenure, to form a little group of, of um, the person in the pew to, to do uh, periodic evaluations of his preaching so that there's a feedback loop. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, one, one elder asked me, well, don't the associate pastor and the pastor talk about the sermons? That's a great thing to do, but really the preacher's not preaching to the associate pastor. He's preaching to, to the people I'm looking at on the screen. 
He's preaching to the person in the pew. And I will tell you this personally, when I began my preaching ministry, I've often run my sermons by Janice, and she'd have a lot of questions about them, and I just kind of blew her off, because I was proud. I was an arrogant donkey. And I eventually learned that if something isn't clear to Janice, it isn't clear to the person in the pew. So I highly value her feedback. And, and I get her feedback. She takes notes. Even to this day, she says, if, if you think about preaching the sermon again, consider doing this at this point. That was helpful. This wasn't so clear. And I think one of the reasons um, I, I, I strive for very clear outlines of my sermons and hopefully true uh, clear transitions is feedback I've received from Janice. She's the person in the pew. Now, granted, she's been around, you know, Christian preaching, biblical preaching, reform preaching for 40 years, so she's more learned than the average person. But anyway, so I have encouraged your elders to, um, to, get, to get that dialogue together with your new pastor so that he's getting that feedback and uh, I, I actually had one elder ask as I was doing this with, with session a, a week or so ago, two weeks ago. He said, well, what if um, you know, people start leaving the church? I said, well, you've got to go find out why they're leaving. And if it's the preaching, you've got you to find out why that's the case. So very healthy to get a feedback loop. Hey, Mike. Yes. This is Lily Baker. Hello, um, Lily. Getting back to one of the... Thank you for sharing that, by the way. But getting back to one of the points about the pastor's weaknesses and, you know, how they are also weak as we are and for us not to idolize them and put them on pedestals. Are you going to address at some point um, how to love our pastors corporately and personally in their weakness? Do you have some ideas? Would you like to Well, I think, what, I'm sorry, can you ask the question again? No, share with us what you're thinking. What, what, what from your perspective, what would that look like? And then, um, I'll, and then I'll take a stab at that, it. But. I think that what to me what that looks like is making sure that we are addressing people's um, families and the pastors' experiences and what they're going through. Um, you know, checking on them and where they are at with their their own lives, and you know, they're they're not just preachers; they're people. And they come to the table to us with their own personal baggage, with their own weaknesses, with their own family histories and with their own experiences. And they're not perfect. And so when they're in moments of weakness, um, I guess I'd like to hear from you how we could do, in my opinion, what would be perhaps a better job than what we've done in the past and walking in someone's weakness with them. Um, and, and being next to them through it, corporately and personally. And perhaps that's a procession that I have that might be different to other people's and how that was done. So I just want to be careful with that. But I'm just curious if that's something that you have any comments on. Well, thank you, Lily. A, a couple of thoughts. One is um, not all the weaknesses are going to be evident. So the, the more closely you get to know the person, you'll see the weaknesses. You should assume that all your pastors struggle with pride. Like they want to be esteemed, they want to be liked, they want to look competent. This is something I'm constantly confessing to the Lord and asking for grace, you know. Um, you should assume that. Now look, we're not saying you excuse sin. If your pastor sins against you or is detected in sin, you act on it. Something for his good, for the church's good, you need to address that immediately. That's Galatians 6, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. And Matthew 18. So I don't think Lily is saying uh, we're, we just tolerate sin. No, not at all. But just realize, um, for me, it's, it's uh, knowing I could... Um, well, look, so what do most men struggle with? They struggle with lust. And this has not happened here, but at our church... In, um, in Virginia, I'm probably giving too much information here, but I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. In our church in Virginia, we, would, we had a lot of college students, and we'd have people come forward for, for communion, and some of the girls weren't dressed very modestly. And that's a distraction. That's a dist I'm sorry, that's a distraction to a pastor when he's handing out communion, and the girls aren't dressed modestly. I've not seen immodest dress here at Wallace, but that's something for women to be aware of. Just dress modestly. Um, 
So, and, um, yeah, so I'll, you know, there's, there's yeah, I'll stop there. Uh, just be aware that um, pastors, uh, yeah, I'll stop there. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Um, did I say too much? It's just, you know. Okay. Um, you mean you're human? As a human man. <laughs> yeah. You mean like all the rest of us, Mike? <laughs> yeah. The only reason I can talk so fairly about the sins you all struggle with is that I struggled them before you did. All right. Um, well, I'm looking at our time, and I, I know we will get through next week. Well, we have to. But um, so, let, so let me just call the one last thing here. Screen share. Um, so the, the, all those first six points sort of formed a nucleus of specific ways you can bless your pastor sort of directly. What we're going to do next time is transition into more general ways you can bless him indirectly, which is essentially being a healthy member of the body. And the whole point is, and I'll unpack this next week in all the handout that follows, but the greatest gift you can give a pastor is how you are the body of Christ, how you love each other, how you care for each other. And the, the first thing we're going to see here is how, how you want another. Every leader wants to shepherd a flock of people who are really serious and intentional about living the Christian life in harmony together. That's the greatest gift you could give your pastor. And this is what we see in this first point here is um, every one anothering. Every pastor wants a flock which practices and excels at one anothering. We just looked at verses from 1 Thessalonians 5 where Paul says in verse 13, A, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The next thing out of his mouth is be at peace among yourselves. So I think Paul is saying Guys, one of the ways you esteem your, your elders, one of the ways you show your love for them, one of the ways you, you honor the office is the way you live together. I mean, it's the next thing out of his mouth. And so he gives you these one another's. Be at peace with one another. And then he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. That's a one anothering. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all you would think that would be the job description of an elder or a pastor. And of course, elders are supposed to do this. But Paul is speaking to the church here. He wants the church to be doing the admonishing one another, the encouraging one another, the helping one another, being patient one another. And then he says, see that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good for one another and to everyone. That is a fun functional definition of love. What does love do? It always seeks to do good to one another. My point is... Every pastor wants a church where its members are consciously, intentionally, deliberately seeking to one another. His role is to foster that, to model that, model that among, among the elders as the session of the deacons meet. You want that modeled. Feed you the word of God so that you're equipped to do this. But this is one of the greatest gifts you have to give your pastor is the way you do your body life together. And they, thus you fulfill John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. So we'll call it quits there. Uh, stop screen share. Let me pray us out to worship. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. And you know the affection uh, I have in my heart for them. And that's ultimately because they are trophies of your grace. They are testimonies to the mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's just such a privilege getting to know them, laboring with them, uh, just seeing them love each other and one another. And of course, we can always improve on this. So I pray for Wallace. We pray together for Wallace that what the next pastor will experience is a church with deep, abiding vitality, a church that is intentional about loving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another, admonishing one another, living in peace with one another. And all of that, Jesus, to your glory, for none of these things come to pass 
except for clear sight of who you are and what you've done for us and the hope that we have in your death and your resurrection and your coming again. So bless my brothers and sisters with these graces and encourage them greatly and use them greatly in this next pastor's life and in his family's life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, guys. So to be continued, we'll finish next week. Scout's honor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. Okay. Good. Can I ask a quick question? Absolutely. Uh, st yes. Yeah. No, who's, um, who's speaking? Sorry. Is it Caitlin? Okay. Yeah, it's a little stupid, I think, but what is the purpose of a pastor? Well, I'm not... That's a, that's, a, that's a good word. We'll get to that in the handout. Strictly speaking, okay. to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But more, okay. more broadly, it comes from the word shepherd. So the pastor shepherds the flock by leading it, counseling it, preaching to it, laying his life down in love for it, helping it, and co-laboring. He is a co-laborer with the other elders. He co-labors to give spiritual oversight spiritual help, spiritual direction to the church. He's one of among many elders tasked with care for the flock in all its extensiveness. So, 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 so Paul would exhort Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching but wanting to have their ears tickled we accumulate for themselves. Teachers, in accordance to their own desire, will turn aside from the truth to myths. So that the shepherd is making sure that the sheep are led to the green pastures of the word of God. They're refreshed along the streams of uh, the grace of God to model it in their lives, to teach it, to counsel it, and to co-labor with the elders that the delivery of Jesus' love and care for his people comes through various means. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Anyone else? I love you. See you soon. See you maybe this afternoon. Thank you for joining us.